0: Hey, guys. Welcome back to Tell Me About It. If you're new around here, I am Jade Iovine. I'm your host. If you're not new around here, welcome back. Tell Me About It is basically the podcast manifestation of those late night conversations you have with your best friends. We leave perfection at the door and instead commiserate about, well, to put it bluntly, all the shitty things that we all go through on a day-to-day basis. Today we have entrepreneur, author, and pop culture commentator Kate Kennedy on the show, who is best known for her podcast, Be There in Five. On her podcast, she explores all things pop culture, from Taylor Swift and Gilmore Girls, my favorite show ever, to our childhood obsession with American Girl Dolls and Abercrombie & Fitch. Kate is one of the most brilliant women I've ever met. She's So articulate and creative and just her pop culture deep dives. If you've ever missed them, go on her Instagram or listen to her podcast to find them because they are truly revolutionary and will make you rethink a lot of the aspects of our childhood that you may or may not have forgotten about. But in this episode, we didn't do a pop culture deep dive. Instead, I kind of asked Kate to stand in as all of our wise older sister, and we talked about things like career transitions, friendships when you're in different places in your lives, and of course, her recent experience freezing her eggs and beginning the IVF process. Just a little trigger warning, we do talk about pregnancy loss and infertility in this episode, so if that's not for you, we'll see you next week. But this episode is jam-packed with so many incredible pearls of wisdom from Kate and just so much information. So I don't want to waste any more time before we jump right in. Here is Kate Kennedy. I'm so excited to meet you. I'm such a fan of yours. Welcome on. Tell me about it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I just have to start with this. And you guys listening, I mean, this is off topic. But I just need to know from you, because you have somewhat of a religious background, right?
1: Yes, yes, Okay. yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> so this just happened to me this morning. So I've been saying the word W-O-R-S-H-I-P, right? As yes. warship, like a war ship. Mm. Everyone else says worship. You say warship? <laughs> it's spelled W-O-R-S-H-I-P. You're not
1: from the Midwest originally, are you? Not
0: even close. No, because some people—it's kind of like the
1: wash, wash.
0: I could see, but that—that's a new one. <laughs> when did we learn worship? I like missed that grade of school. Like I worship—is that really a thing? Like everyone looked at me like I was insane. I've never—it's if it were worship, it'd be W E R, wouldn't it? You know. It's, it's a for the hard hitting questions. It's a good that you're question. The
1: only du- like, double syllable compound word that's coming to mind is like a warhead. So I don't. <laughs> right? and that's W A. I don't know. Yeah. I, but honestly, being having a background in like evangelical worship is its own warship of right. combating your own salvation at <laughs> every turn. So you're not off base.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like I can't believe that I've gotten almost 29 years just saying this fucking word wrong. So I figured I'd ask you because I figured in the evangelical world, you might have said it a few times, you know,
1: (laughs) I'm I'm refreshed to know that we can have lived as long as we have and even have public platforms
0: and still have blind spots or still learn new things. (laughs) I was mortified because I'm the girl that's like the breathe breath police. You know what I mean? Like people that don't put an E on the after like. They're like, oh, my God, my last breathe. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's so annoying. <laughs> so I was absolutely more. I'll make it your last yeah, breathe exactly. if you don't put an e on that word. Exactly. I totally get it. So I'm like, I, that was karma for sure. So That's back funny. to this pop culture world and the things that we're taught to be ashamed of, I have probably been a closeted Gilmore Girls fan for, I mean, when did it When did it come out? Like 2002?
1: Yeah, like long time ago. I think it finished in like 07 or something.
0: Right. So since then, I've been like the biggest Gilmore Girls fan of all time. And I've waited three fucking seasons of the show to talk to someone about my love (coughs) for Gilmore Girls. And it is Gilmore Girls fall over here. You know, like this is when we all come out and thrive. Like we're in Stars Hollow. It's amazing. So I just want to know, just set the record straight. Are you team Jess, Dean or Logan?
1: Okay, this is maybe a hot take, but Dean now gives me like, storm the capital energy. I think he's, like, an anti-vaxxer. I, I, <laughs> sure. I just, I don't trust him. He's manipulative. I think Dean is the person we he idolized when we were young and thought we wanted a boyfriend like that. But in as an adult, you realize it's a very unhealthy relationship. Um, <laughs> sure. And I think the way I always frame it in my head is I think that Jess is the best of the guys, but Logan is the best for Rory. 100%.
0: Like, when he calls her ace, like, I just, I, I think it's so cute. And Jess is wonderful, but I agree with the Dean take. I really do. Like, who did he cheat? Lindsay. Lynn, thank you. Lindsay. Yeah. What was her, what actress was that? I
1: only know of her.
0: From John Tucker Must Die, right? The John Tucker Must <laughs> Die. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the only one. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking that. It's funny because at each stage of my life, like depending on, I mean, I've had two boyfriends in my life. One is going to be my husband. So when I was like having my high school boyfriend, I repped Dean Hart. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about the fact that you are what? Three fucking days out from your post-op, from your uh, retrieval. Yes. Men could never, men could never. The fact that you're sitting here right now is so, I am so impressed. I can't even tell you.
1: You know, the process of laying eggs is a weird one. I try not to overthink it. Like it is, it is weird. It's really involved, but like also it's my second time doing it. So I knew what to expect. Yeah. And I, I'm not a person that like rests, not, I mean, my job is very easy, relatively speaking, but my job is to sit down. So it's nice to be able to like work and stuff through
0: it. So yeah, we can like do a lot of our work from bed.
1: Yeah. So it's like an outpatient surgery and, uh, Yeah, so it's kind of funny. Like, you have to wait a week and then you find out, like, what turns into an embryo. And then, like, so technically my children are, like, being fertilized right now. It's, like, so weird.
0: It's so (laughs) trippy. And I really want to get into, like, the moral aspect of the embryo world because I didn't realize there's so much controversy about what to do with, like, the disposal of embryos, like, after you're finished having the amount of kids that you want or whatever. People are fucking crazy. They are. So a little backstory, basically, I had an abortion five, six years ago, and it's just something that I really like to talk about and just get other people's perspectives. And so I learned about your story, and it stuck out to me so much because I want to get as many perspectives on here as possible about... The world and the spectrum of abortion, because it's not just like a 21-year-old getting pregnant accidentally because she's bad with her birth control. It can look like so many different things. It can look like an ectopic pregnancy. It can look like a miscarriage at five months or whatever. So can you just give me some background on your story and your journey to get to this point where you're on your second egg retrieval?
1: Yeah. So by the time my husband and I started trying, it was taking a while. I think that even the decision of if and when to have kids is its whole other crazy thing where your career climbs, your fertility declines, and then all of a sudden everything you've built toward and you do everything in your power to get your ducks in a row. And then I always say like, it's actually messed up. It's really frustrating. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's social functions. You creep towards your mid thirties and all anybody asks you is like, when are you having kids? And then you're like, well, I like my life and career. And then they act like you're crazy for not mm-hmm. wanting to, as I say, do a cannonball into those ducks.
0: Meanwhile, like your what? whole Instagram <laughs> is turning into like walking dead of like baby. Right. Right now mine's all weddings and it's like starting to turn into babies. And I'm like, I fucking miss when we were just posting each other, like passed out on the floor after a night out. You know what I mean? Like, what is this bullshit?
1: It does. It does. One day it just changes and all of a sudden everyone has like a second kid and it's just
0: confusing. (laughs) And then you have to see like Aiden's second birthday like 15,000 times. Yes.
1: Right. And I think some people are more naturally inclined toward that content and that realm. And I it's never really been my wheelhouse. And I always struggled a bit with like feeling maternal and waiting to wake up and have an all consuming desire And I kind of came to a conclusion of like, huh, I feel like kids are maybe something I always thought I'd have, not something that I actively want. And I kept, but at a point you have to make a call because it becomes not an option. So yeah, I did this whole long series on my podcast called Childless Millennial, like talking through these thoughts, because when you're a woman at the very beginning stages trying to figure it out, people shut you down pretty quickly with these thought terminating things that like, oh, once you have a kid, nothing else matters. And I'm like, but what if I want it to matter? So you're saying everything I am doesn't matter because I haven't had a child yet? Like, that's crazy.
0: (laughs) Right, and then you're like, oh, I just want to wait till I'm ready. And they're like, you're never ready. And I'm like, okay, but maybe I'll be like a little more ready. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I'll just won't look like I can barely remember to turn off my straightener every time I leave the house. Like, maybe I'll just be, wait for a little more maturity. But there are all these tropes, you're right about these moms that want you to like join their club. So they're like trying to coax you just go for it. And you're like, wait. Right. And, and I think part, so part of me for a
1: while, convinced myself I wasn't meant for it. Um, and then I, through the podcast, I kind of was just like, no one can talk back to me here. So I'm just going to say what I feel. And what I feel is people make motherhood sound really daunting, really difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very hard when people share all the downsides with you and you don't have the joy of the child to offset that. So all I hear is negative stuff and I'm already on the fence. Right. And I Uh, No one lets you say you're not sure without making you feel like a bad person. And I just heard from thousands of women that were like, oh, my God. No, I felt exactly how you felt. I wasn't into this. I don't like mom stuff. And they were like, I just didn't have anywhere to be able to say that. So these people exist. They're just not vocal because you get shut down in mom circles. And honestly, weirdly, the podcast was a huge part of me even moving forward because I heard from women I identified with. And that honestly matters to hear from women that are like, My life didn't like it changed, but also it's your life and your child and your partnership and you have more control over what that looks like. And just because somebody else says it's horrible or this or that or you never have sex again or it doesn't mean it have to be your life. Like,
0: right. It is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. Like, yeah, I feel like you go from like being in the club to then like. Cutting the crust off sandwiches and making these like competitive bento boxes for your child's lunch. bento You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Well, I'm in that part of TikTok for some godforsaken reason. It is mesmerizing to watch. But yeah, you don't realize that you can make it your own at all. So sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, and there's value to have, like, people being moms that have different personality types you know mm. like just because I, I I cannot imagine cutting white bread with a cookie cutter <laughs> it's cute though it's just not like yeah my style that's funny with the bento boxes those those that that those is things- a weird side of TikTok that I'm also on and I don't know why.
0: I, know. I think we're all on it because it really is you're just like whoa oh my god did I have like the worst mom ever I never had the, a bento box you know what I mean the like extra
1: effort. it's remarkable it's
0: crazy but I gave you too much uh, background
1: but Anyway, no, so we I try- started trying for a while. It wasn't happening, and then finally, when I did get pregnant, I was very ready. I do think it not happening like helps your helped my desire in my situation.
0: Of course. How old were you? Like how far out of? I
1: was thirty three.
0: Thirty three, and when did you get married?
1: Thirty.
0: Okay, great.
1: Got married in twenty seventeen, and then this pregnancy was in twenty twenty one. Somewhere in okay. between. So like I we started trying when I was about when I was had just turned. 33. And then this was when I was about to turn 34, like a month beforehand, I got pregnant. And um, it, it was exciting. And I yeah, like basically, long story short, started bleeding, started feeling weird, went to the ER, assuming it was just like, you know, just wanted to make sure everything was okay. Mm-hmm. And it turned it kind of just was zero to 60. And it turned out to be, they give you an ultrasound and stuff. And it turned out to be ectopic. And, you know, in the ER, it's not, um, you know, bedside manner. Uh, not only did yeah. I really not know what neck topic was or how you resolve it, I I went in pregnant. And then hours later, somebody was like, yeah, so you need, you don't have a choice. You have to terminate this pregnancy, but you just, you get to pick how. And I was like, huh? Right. And uh, it was very alarming and traumatizing on many levels, but mm-hmm. um, it was kind of one of those things where it, it implanted in my fallopian tube and it it was a viable pregnancy in an unviable location. And Ugh. ectopics are one of the most fatal things that can happen in your first trimester because if the fetus grows, the like my tube would burst and I would like hemorrhage. So mm-hmm. it that's why timing matters with intervention, among other things. Right. Um, so they basically like, you know, tell you. Do you want surgery? Do you want to resolve it? This, you know, with this injection or whatever. Yeah. What are and the options?
0: I guess it's the injection. You can get your
1: fallopian tube removed. Um, okay. Some places they offer removing the part of it where the fetus is, or if you your HCG is under a certain level, mm-hmm. um, you can get an injection called methotrexate, which is also a medication used for like chemo, used for arthritis. Okay. It has different uses, and so I went with the less invasive one, and it turned out to be a really weird experience where I was, you know knew I was pregnant for six weeks and then it took me like another four or five to get unpregnant. Okay. So, and then you have to go in and get, um, you know, twice a week, I think blood draws cause they need to see that your pregnancy levels are dropping. Basically that you're, they basically starve your body of folic acid. So a fetus can't survive and it slowly passes. And it's a, it's a real mind fuck when you're going to get blood work and people are like cheering on that you're becoming less pregnant and you kind of feel like a walking tomb and it's mm-hmm. it was it was it was dark stuff and it was not ideal and then once i kind of afterward was reviewing all like the paperwork and stuff i and you re- you read the notes and then you realize like oh if a woman goes into an er with bleeding during a pregnancy that's called a threatened abortion the way you resolve a miscarriage is there're a bunch of different terms but like my particular case was like inevitable, spontaneous abortion or something. And it's in, it's a medical term that got co-opted, you know, with the moral majority in the gang, late 70s, wanting to galvanize voters with abortion as an issue. And it's a term that was never meant to be co-opted in that way. It means it has nothing to do with the elective or non-elective nature of why um, fetal material might need to be removed from your body. And I was kind of like, well, this is interesting because at the exact same time, the Texas heartbeat bill was happening. And they were, we were at the point where we were, they announced they were going to deputize private citizens to sue anybody adjacent to performing an abortion. And I kind of was like, holy shit, if somebody came across my paperwork, overheard me talking, misunderstood the situation, and they were like, oh, she didn't have a miscarriage, she didn't have, a, you know, she had an abortion, you could completely weaponize somebody's grief, all the same as it's not okay, regardless. I mean, unequivocally right. pro-choice, but it kind of, of opened up a side of it where I was like, oh, wow. The, this terminology doesn't indicate whether or not it was elective or not. People could really use this to not intervene with enough time and or the people that are being deputized could take this the misunderstand what's a medical procedure that's necessary. And that's how I got a lot more involved with the issue is just realizing like, oh, So yeah, I had an unviable pregnancy and I had a pregnancy loss, but what it actually was, was an abortion. And I started talking about it a lot because if you're kind of unequivocally anti-choice or whatever, I think that that's a middle ground that gets, that opens a door for people where like, I'm sorry, but if you want, like period, I don't agree with anybody that's anti-choice, but if if you can't imagine that the one in four pregnancies of the people you love around you like, that will end in miscarriage, if you want them to f- suffer further physical and emotional trauma to get sepsis, infection, or die, like, what's wrong with you?
0: hundred <laughs> like, percent. And your choice was what? Life or death? Yes. There was no choice for you. And I had a friend that had an ectopic pregnancy, and she, like, you know, didn't, re- she had the procedure, the whole thing, and then she didn't see it until her medical bill came. And it said like requested abortion or some word that represented that there was some elective right. aspect to it, and she was horrified because she was like, I was. She's like
1: grieving. She's like, right. I didn't want this. Exactly.
0: Yeah, she's like, I wanted a baby.
1: Right, and I and I think it just it opens up up an opportunity to have a little more nuanced discussion because. I think people just don't get that being pro-choice, it's not an extremist position. It it Mm -hmm. allows for nuance. And Mm -hmm. to understand that is to understand the nuance. And if you're going to associate the issue with the most extreme, unlikely version that people use to represent abortion and misrepresent it, you know, on the right to make it look like something it's not. When you hear stories from women who like, you know, if you have a, a missed miscarriage or an incomplete miscarriage and... You, your baby's not going to survive. But the fetal matter in your body, or the way your body's responding, is going to cause you to to bleed or get further infection. Yep. Or like, it, even having the option to have a DNC, if you're in a position to have a DNC or have it naturally resolve, like if you have a DNC, you can genetic test the fetus and know what happened. Right. And get like there are so many important nuances to just it's so insane to be like, no, you shouldn't be allowed medical intervention, you should have to suffer and have it naturally resolve. And when people don't realize is that when they're voting, pro life, they're voting for the same procedures elective or not elective to be impacted. And we know this because it happens in countries where there's strict abortion laws now. They just don't even offer things that uh, could get them in trouble. And at Catholic hospitals now, a lot of them won't offer DNCs and will send people to Planned Parenthood because they don't believe in evacuating from the body. Um, And I just think it's really alarming that I didn't know beforehand that this affects pregnancy care, period, the end, regardless of elective nature. 100%.
0: And the fact that there are, I think, four or five different types of abortions you can get, including a DNC, Mm -hmm. that blew my mind too. When I, because obviously after it happened to me, I did extensive research on it and I continue to do so because it's, first of all, it's a hot button topic right now and we're fighting so literally for our lives. But I think there's just so much, it's so polarized and there's no room for like the middle ground or like nuance, like you explained.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, I think. Part of me wonders, in previous years, you know, when you think about one in four pregnancies ending, you know, in a miscarriage, and many of those needing medical intervention, so that means needing some sort of abortion-adjacent care, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of crazy that a lot of these this dialogue wasn't happening before, but I think miscarriages are something that are so dark and difficult um, that you know there isn't always an inten- a tendency to share or be open about them and i think the f- even the first time my friend explained to me what it was like getting a dnc it's really tough and it's really dark oh. and it's really hard and it's something that people don't understand if they haven't been through and right. i just don't know if the dialogue was there where women were even feeling comfortable talking about their experiences resolving miscarriages enough mm-hmm. to be connecting the dots like even like Chrissy Teigen a few weeks ago was like I had no idea that my unviable pregnancy what how I had to resolve it was an abortion like they don't they're careful to say that to you but when you read the paperwork it's it's quite clear.
0: I think so much of that is because so much of the time we're arguing with men, and I think there is a certain disconnect. You know, men can be so excited and in love with a baby that's on its way, but there is something different about the woman carrying it and, like, what happens subconsciously to your brain. Like, just the biological pull towards the child and the true, like grief and the community of people that suffer that grief that like go unmentioned you know because it's like the person never existed that they miss but it's so profound and it's so real that I feel like there is that disconnect like it makes sense I mean it took me years to talk about it I thought everyone would be like well fuck you you want you wanted to go live your life and not have a baby at 21 so like what are you crying about but there is this grief, whether you want it or not. Like maybe some people don't experience that, but like I definitely did. And so that really resonates with me, what you said.
1: Exactly. I think people really oversimplify and villainize and it's not that simple or straightforward. And the bottom line is there's so many different reasons and factors that play into a person's decision. You just can't know what's best for their life. Mm-hmm. And if if there's any sort of opening or window where somebody that is similar to somebody else. They couldn't empathize with it. I think it makes all the difference. And if you frame it in the context of miscarriage, I don't see how you couldn't do a 180 and and what you support because you're just, you're co-signing the unnecessary trauma and pain and and threatening so many lives and i think beyond that too the thing that makes me so mad is like okay so if you want to put women in a situation where they're forced to have miscarriages resolved naturally that takes weeks it's a a lot of blood Mm -hmm. it's a lot of pain it's a lot of emotional trauma and grief and it's not something that most women can endure and go back to work so if you're going to if you're not going to let people medically intervene and do abortion procedures for miscarriage management. Sure as hell, better be offering paid leave. 100. Most companies don't even offer bereavement right. for a miscarriage. Right. And y- you just have to go back to work the next day. I mean, it's unconscionable it really how is. N- nobody gives a fuck about women. <laughs> like,
0: mm-hmm. no, I'm still out here rallying for the fact that we should have period days off. You know what I mean? Like it's, ridiculous. <laughs> totally. I, I, I'm like, if men had periods, like I am so not myself. And even the fact that like, you know, you know, as a podcast, like we work with people, if I'm fucking PMSing, which I am right now, so I'm extra heated about this, I'm going to be a different person. And if men were going through that or any of this bullshit, we would have off, like there would be some bereavement for miscarriages. There would be all of that. And it frustrates me to no end, but I love that you do live shows and that you kind of took your show off of certain cities that would have seen your procedure as an abortion or as illegal, right?
1: So that that's kind of what became complicated is, yeah, I started touring. And then I was very aware of this e- before Roe was even being threatened on a larger scale. When I was touring, and then we were back and trying to conceive, I knew that I had over 50% chance of another ectopic. And- Oh, is that how it goes? Like you have- In my – I didn't get my tube removed, so the tissue, like, resolved in it and made it worse and, like, potentially making a blockage. It's, like, a unique to my circumstance, not for most people, though having one does make you more susceptible to another. And so I was trying to – like, you know, when you're TTC or whatever, and I'm on the road, and at any point, like, at or around the time of my period, it was scaring me to – not know if I could be pregnant or not, and I wanted to be, but if I knew that I was, the next two, three weeks, I had to be on high alert for signs and symptoms, knowing that, like, I could be somewhere one day and need an emergency surgery because this next time I would have to get the tube removed. And even though most states cover in their, like, basic protections, like, uh, you know, clause that says – Something to save the mother's life is permissible. The problem is that's not quantifiable. That's not medical. That's subjective. subjective. And subjective. it, but and you get you get scared. Like okay, so how not how how like. Close to almost dead, almost super dead. Do I got? Do I have to be to get right. like intervention? And I just felt uncomfortable. Yeah, like with the idea of touring and not knowing if I would need intervention, and then the idea that made me so mad to think of people delaying the care that they know as medical best practice to heed to you know lawmakers' bullshit. So I actually just kind of stopped touring. I <sighs> I got stuck in Texas during an ice storm in February, and I was like, I'm out. Nope. <laughs> And I was like, I can't do it. I was like, I'm not going to be on the road till I find a solution. And long story short, through one of my podcast advertisers, Kind Body, they do at-home fertility tests as like an onboarding, like, hi, thanks thing. The co-founder got on a call with me and I, t- I was like, well, allow me to take this as a personal medical Seriously, opportunity. that's so <laughs> smart of you. That's
0: incredible.
1: That's brilliant. And I just, and I, and she had a conversation with me and asked me questions. Nobody had asked me before. I, I'd gone to an OBGYN and all they had ever said was when you've been trying for a year and haven't gotten pregnant, like then we can look into it. And most fertility clinics like acid or that you've tried for a year or insurance won't even cover it if your insurance does cover it. All signs lead to you should know nothing about yourself, your body, your hormones or, or ovarian reserve. But the way to find out is to try. Exactly. And it's like, well, that's a pretty permanent outcome
0: and what if I try too late or what if I try and like I'm ready to get pregnant at 33 and then whoops turns out I can't get pregnant so I have to wait until I'm 37 you know what I mean like that gray area I mean not to mention the fear involved there are certain tests I guess that can indicate maybe that you would have some trouble but like there's that fear of people not wanting to do that because people just you know are afraid but there's this gray area of your future that's just not up to you and it's terrifying
1: And that was kind of the the cruel joke, right? I think one of the cruel things about life that nobody really tells you is, you know, you you have oversimplified conversations your whole life about, like, love and marriage and baby carriages. And no one's talking about how those things aren't, one, guaranteed. Two, they involve other people. Three, they might not be desired. And the things that happen to you in the department of love and babies are less of a function of choice and more often chance. And then I spend all this time agonizing over if I want kids or not only for it to not really be up to me.
0: Yes, that you just articulated so many women's fears. It's true because like you spend all this time being like, am I ready? Am I not ready? Imagining that all of these beautiful, healthy eggs are awaiting a sperm to come your way and you're just the gatekeeper that's like, okay, I'm ready right. now. And then surprise, you might be infertile or you might have trouble in some capacity and then it's no longer in your hands.
1: Exactly. And, and that, that that just really overwhelmed me. And I think that yeah, it's not like I was getting pregnant easily. If I was, it was likely it wasn't going to work out. And there's there were so many things that were making this so unpleasant. And, and this uh, doctor, Dr. Sazan, who co-founded Kind Body, was like, do you want one kid or multiple kids? Do you feel like you need more time? Do you feel like – she just asked me, like, my family planning or, like, what I wanted for my life. And basically she was like, well, you know, if you did IVF, like – it would circumvent your my specific medical problem in with my tubes and give you a better chance of implanting directly in the uterus. Um, even though there's still a risk of ectopics with IVF, absolutely, it was less for me. And I was so I'm writing a book that's like due in a few weeks, and um, I I just I had a lot going on with work and stuff, and I just I wanted more a little bit more time to not rush and be scared of it medically. And she was like, well, if you, you know get your eggs retrieved and you freeze embryos like you can carry a pregnancy like well into your 40s like the thing that matters is the eggs if you can get some of those out if you can freeze embryos it gives you time it's medically safer for you for all the reasons you're anxious and since you don't get pregnant quickly it gives you a way better chance of having siblings and that's something i never thought about either because like i'm now 35 it already It takes me a while to get pregnant. The ectopic would mean it might not always work out. By the time I have one kid, (laughs) i would to be years into this. That's true. You don't
0: think about that part. So true. Yeah.
1: And and that was so – those were kind of like the two – the three things. It was like time, uh, Mm -hmm. safer for me, and um, just thinking down the line to have a better chance of having siblings if that's what I want for my family. And I just never thought of IVF as something that was proactive. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a last resort. And Mm – for me, it put a little bit more procedure and, and process to what felt like such uh so helplessly out of my control for so long that even though it's not really in my control and, you know, it's it's a combo of mother nature and science. It still was I would feel so grateful to have options.
0: It, there is an empowering aspect to it because you're like, OK, at least I'm being proactive. At least I'm doing something at least like. I can actually see into my uterus and see, like, what the fuck is going on and make some sort of plan. At least, like, yes, there's always room for that other shit. It's not just totally rolling the dice on your life.
1: Exactly. And, And I think that people do talk about 35 like it's a cliff. And it's not necessarily. It's just kind of like a reference point. And your body could be a totally different place, younger, older, anywhere on the spectrum. You just don't know. And it's not like you turn 35 and you can't have a kid anymore. It's gradual. They just use that.
0: Even though they do call you geriatric, which is fucked up. Yeah, which is
1: so fucked up. But what I learned is they, they use 35 more often because it just makes you eligible for more testing if you're older. And that's their cutoff. And then insurance will cover it if you're above 35. But, like, as a person who did their first retrieval at, you know, 34 um, and 10 months and then, like, 35 in one month, I'm just, like, laughing at how it was the exact same, but my whole life I thought I was going to expire.
0: Wait, so you did them that closely together? Yeah. Okay, so your first one was at 34. Let's talk about the process because I just think there's not a lot of transparency into that world. And you're, like truly living it as we speak. So I am endlessly curious. I'm first of all, just so grateful that you even are here right now because I would be so far in my bed. You got put under, right? Like you get put under for how long?
1: It's like an outpatient surgery that you're not out that long. It's like an hour, but yeah, they stick a large gauge needle in your ovaries and like take out all the eggs and it's, 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 I've just, I am shocked how little I knew about my body before this process. Um, yes. but it, uh, yeah. So if, whether you Freeze eggs, freeze embryos, or do, like, a full IVF cycle. The process is the same the first half. The way okay. you get your eggs is the same. Okay. And you – it's it's honestly more straightforward than I thought. Like, a place like A Kind Body, you can go – if you're single, you can go if you're in a partnership. You can go if you don't want kids, if you do. You don't have to have tried for a year. They just, like, allow you to be your own health advocate. Get Amazing. data Imagine about, that. like, your AMH levels, your, you know, ovarian reserve. They do an ultrasound. And after like a blood test and ultrasound and you talk with doctors, like if you want to move forward with an egg freezing or embryo freezing or IVF, you basically get like a bunch of medications that's like two, three shots a day, a schedule, and you go in for an ultrasound and blood work every couple of days. And you normally release one egg a month with a normal menstrual cycle, but your eggs essentially like it allows multiple to grow at the same time a normal period one egg grows and is favored and then releases this allows like all of your follicles to grow like close to equally and then they can retrieve them
0: okay and then oh my god so you're just sitting there with a shit ton of eggs laying eggs taking eggs while we work, Come on. That's so crazy. So tell me your experience, personally, being someone that hasn't started this whole process, but it's on the precipice of like trying to figure out when I want kids or any, all of that. I know very little about, I mean, I know some things about the IVF and egg retrieval process, but not much, but I'm so curious. I need that older sister, real deal. Are you just fucking bloated and pissed off all day? What is it like?
1: It's so hard to give it like a static take because right? I think what really matters with your experience is e- e- what everyone is able to retrieve and like follicle wise grow is so person to person to the point where you even go on IVF message boards and it feels like weird and competitive and... You hear somebody you know, somebody else's more follicles or got more you know, and you're like, yeah, uh. like, it's kind of yeah. shitty, but it's hard to say it's definitively one thing or the other. I th- I think there's a couple things that impact your experience. One, for me, um, I think a lot of women have tried everything. They've done IUIs, which is like kind of the baster method. They've taken Clomid, they've tried for years. And IVF is like a last resort, last ditch effort. And it's expensive, right? And even though a lot of places cover it, like Illinois, for example, I think California too, like a lot of states require a level of coverage. Um, a lot of employers, like, you know, I always
0: expensive as shit.
1: It is expensive. And I think there's more coverage options than maybe people realize. Um, but I do think that it's, there's a lot riding on it for people. And if it's your last shot and it's a lot of money and, um, it's a new experience where you were bruised and bloated and and doing shots every day. Like there are moments that are very tough and your body's not your own. And you were but a vessel and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? And I definitely had plenty of moments where I was like, Oh my God, this is just, it it was, it was tough. However, I do think my situation's unique in that it felt proactive. It did not feel last resort. It weirdly felt safer for me. And there were upsides that motivated me in ways that I think if I were in a different place and I'd experienced a lot more loss or a lot more infertility time, it would have been hard. So I think I can't, I can't speak for somebody in a different emotional state. But for me that was interested in it, learned a lot, felt like it was giving me options. I really felt like it was doable in ways. I don't feel like people talk. I feel like it's spoken about in a way that look so miserable. I thought, oh, there's no way I'd be able to handle that. And it's not great. But don't you always feel, I don't know, I feel like we always can handle more than we think we can.
0: For sure. And we're honestly like with our cycle, we're always at some sort of shitty time. We're used to like bloating. And I feel like women can endure that kind of stuff and still do their job and everything. But you did miss a Harry Styles concert for it.
1: I did miss a Harry Styles conference. My water my watermelon
0: sugar low. I was so upset. <laughs> you gotta tell your child that when they're pissing you off as a teenager, you gotta be like, actually, like, look what I've done for you.
1: I know. That was sad. But here's the thing, like I I I have an easy job that I sit down for and I'm in a position to make it work. I think it's important to read a lot of dif- women's different experiences but coming from a person with a white coat syndrome to the max who's squeamish, who doesn't like to feel like a vessel, who's not super maternal or driven to do this, I I think for me it was I found this process to be more tolerable than the ongoing ambiguity of trying to get pregnant and it never happening.
0: Yes, and that's where the personal choice comes in and like the personal aspect of it because yes, it's uncomfortable, but for you the benefits far outweighed the discomfort that you felt exactly what was the biggest surprise about it
1: I I think that like I don't even know what a follicle was like and all of a sudden I'm like you know tracking them like I don't know if people track like sports scores but like it's like you feel like you're it's a game and you're tracking how your follicles grow and how many millimeters they there are and um the first time I had a weird kind of effect of being so jacked up on estrogen, I was like borderline horny, which was funny because like you can't do anything. Oh, you can't have sex? Well, I guess you could, but you have to be very careful because you are fertile.
0: Oh, and then you've kind of blown that- the
1: process.
0: Oh, my God. You could have, like, quintuplets or something.
1: Right. So I don't know what would happen if you did. And you did. don't get
0: your period at that time either. I mean, No, because you're,
1: you're, like, amping up to ovulate. So what okay. they're doing is controlled ovulation. It's, like, you start at the end of your period, and you do the shots up to the point where you would ovulate. And then the retrieval's at the moment you ovulate. And, um... But the second time I was like on a different cocktail of medication, I was on a steroid and I was like, don't touch me. I slept in a different room. (laughs) I couldn't sleep. I was so irritable. And it's just, it's different every time. And I, so yeah, no two cycles are alike. I got different numbers every time. And now I I think I would have been maybe more judgmental before, not judgmental, but if you did multiple cycles or whatever, it's kind of like, oh my God, why are you putting yourself through this? If to get the same result, it's like, well, no, actually, every time you can get a very different result just depend, totally. depending on your cycle. Totally. And I get why people keep at it.
0: Was there a piece of you, this is something that I just thought of and I'm so curious because the female brain is a complex place, you know, and I, I wonder, was there any part of you, like you said, when we're growing up, we hear so much about being able to have kids and words like the natural way or... Was there ever a piece of you that grieved the process in which you would conceive?
1: Mm. That was that's what I sh- I meant to say earlier when you asked me how I felt about it. I think that's the biggest thing I learned is I felt OK once I grieved the loss of the magic of just getting pregnant by accident, being one of those people that just, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. It's a little before I'm ready, but we'll figure it out. Or right. just having a, a simplistic, magical arc for myself where the universe took over in ways I could never intellectualize. And I think for a woman like me that's already on the fence, I, I so wished for that magic that would decide for me. And it was made all the more challenging when it wasn't there. And I had to, be, I had to take action in, in the absence of that. Cause I really was relying on chance. And right. um, I, I think depending on your reference group, depending on who you know, that's been through it, like you might feel differently about IVF. But I just have really made it a choice to be like, God, how lucky am I to have options? Um, it's not ideal. And I don't, you know, I'm not and everything happens for a reason manifesting, babe. But I think I just try to be, I just try to be like, this is my very non-straightforward path how great if the alternative is that they'd be like you're shit out of luck you're not meant to be a mom
0: exactly (laughs) and
1: um i think that it's really when you go through a period of time where you're agonizing over not getting pregnant and or feeling like your life is at risk for being pregnant this seems like slightly more controlled and doable and i just i found it genuinely fascinating and uh the more you learn about it the more not weird it is and I think it's just kind of stigmatized or people find a lot of solidarity and some content online sometimes with like the suffering element of it And I don't think we always talk about the proactive and great not not to silver linings it but to be like this is a really great way to give yourself choices if you feel like you've, you're out of them
0: right and thank god we have this incredible option like albeit very expensive and uncomfortable in certain aspects but like The alternative is, as we know, just not being able to have kids. Yeah.
1: So I do think that the grieving the loss of magic is huge. And I think it is. I don't know if some people ever do, but I also wasn't that maternal. And I think that maybe worked in my favor. I I haven't spent my whole life dreaming of being pregnant. I've spent my whole life dreading being pregnant and thinking it's a means to
0: an end. Right. No, totally. (laughs) I I resonate with that for sure. Because then there's the aspect of not only you coming to terms with the fact that this is your path, but sometimes depending on who your partner is there might be an aspect of you having to help them get comfortable as well with yeah. this other process you know and that right. can feel uncomfortable did you experience any of that
1: i'm very fortunate that i didn't i think with my husband one especially once he heard that this was a safer option he's like why wouldn't i mean it was kind of a no brainer so I feel very fortunate. My husband, like, uh, just lets me be unconventional and understands that this is a huge, you know, it's our child, but it's a big burden on my body and life. And I don't know, I didn't take his name. Like, he's just, he's cool with me doing yeah. that thing. And he wanted me to be comfortable and safe. And IVF wasn't on his mind either. But once I told him that it could reduce the chance for ectopics, he was like, well, absolutely. Let's, if you're up for it, let's do the safer thing. And the yeah. fact that I've done it twice is just, I can't, uh, this time last year, I would have never even thought I'd do IVF, much less two (laughs) ice.
0: Right. I feel like there is some through line between people that are okay with you not taking their last name and being cool with all of this other stuff. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a good indication that they're going to be a progressive person with you.
1: I think people overthink what things mean. You can assign some sort of meaning to a lack of convention, or you can just let it exist on its own and be okay with it. And just because your path doesn't look like somebody else's doesn't mean it's wrong.
0: Right. So did your husband do the whole sperm spinning? Like, you have embryos, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So you go provide a sample, like, day of. And it made me laugh because... Did
0: you do, like, the old-fashioned? Like, they have Playboys from, like, 1980 or something in there, right?
1: They had a Roku, and he wouldn't touch the remote. And I was like, please yeah. tell me what people watch in there. <laughs>
0: dying to know (laughs) that world is like insane to me the fact that like they like everyone's waiting on you everyone knows what you're doing but the fact that men can still ejaculate just shows the difference the fundamental difference between male and female orgasm you know what i mean it's so fucked up
1: i think it's fucked up like mother nature wise that women can get pregnant without orgasming but men can't impregnate somebody unless they orgasm
0: i never even thought of that i hate that that makes me so mad. I mean, if there's a f- slight chill in the air, I can't, like, have an orgasm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Meanwhile, these people are in this, like, disgusting room, like, with <laughs> this old-fashioned porn and are like, well, I guess this is, I just got to jerk it and be on my way. It's amazing.
1: I talked to a nurse right before, like, my first round, and she was like, was your husband coming, Dave? And I was like, well, of course he, he'll be there. Yeah. And he, she she was like, well, some people are, you know, uncomfortable. Or- I thought you meant the other kind of coming. Uh, right, that too, yeah. And they're like, some people are, you know, feel a little bit weird about the sterile environment and want to do something frozen or, or bring it from the parking. Like, and, it, and I was just like, are you honestly telling me that there are men out there that have the audacity to stand by somebody going through the injections, the surgery, the, all the things? And they're like, <laughs> and they can't fucking mm, come
0: in a cup? This is
1: hard for me. Huh? I was like,
0: on what planet are. <laughs> Kourtney Kardashian really. She set women back like a good hundred years. Did you see that episode of the Kardashians? I don't know if you watched yeah, Kardashians. where
1: she was like, can there be spit? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on. No, don't set this expectation. My boyfriend's watching with me. And I'm like, just shield your eyes. Don't watch that part because I will never be that girl.
1: If you're doing a retrieval, you're pre-op. You can't, you're not in the room with them. It's not part of it. They have to, they have to figure it out themselves. And I just, the audacity of someone, of these husbands being, like, un, uh, out here, like, I'm uncomfortable. It's like, I
0: could so drop not, kick. Yeah, I literally <laughs> hate you. No, that makes me so mad. I can't even tell you. So there's a point where you look four or five months pregnant. Your stomach is so distended. Do you have to get different jeans? Or, like, are you in sweatpantsville for just months? I was
1: in sweatpants or unbuttoning. It, it's It's like a really, it's, well, you know how, like, a really bad food bloat can be, like, a yes. second trimester bump? It's like... <laughs> It's it's not forever. And it, some people react more than others. Like my body, I think, reacted more than some people's does. For me, the most frustrating part was like the injection sites start to bruise and it, your stomach gets really tender.
0: You got a lot of bruises, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, you do. And it's kind of like sad if you overthink it. But... And my darker moments, you know, in Breaking Dawn, when Renesmee like sucks the life out of Bella, I kind of felt like, that. I was like, I am pale, I am lifeless. I I feel like this is sucking me of everything. And there's like a couple day or two where you're just like, oh my God, kill me. But then I think for the most part, you're so engaged with the process and you're watching them grow and you're getting all these tests and you're kind of, I don't know, engaged and uh, feel like you're counting down and um, I don't know. Now I, I feel like I can take on anything. Now that I can I would inject imagine. myself, I would have never been able to do that before. <laughs> I 100%
0: agree. I think it like gives you a warrior badge. It's a tough process and it really is all consuming. We're lucky that we're employed by our audience or self-employed to an extent, because if you have an employer where like you maybe don't have a relationship to tell them, or like maybe you have family you don't want to tell, you probably want to just scream it from the rooftops at some point being like, Leave me out of all of this nonsense because I'm going through something that's so huge right now. Like, did you ever have any of that experience, frustrated with people's inability to, like, understand?
1: What we were talking about earlier, I think I'm empathetic to when you're out of this world, it's just not really something you're thinking about. You don't understand the detail of it. And since I wasn't super maternal and I've not always been up to speed with everything my friends are going through, or honestly, probably the best person to confide in because I didn't know a lot about mom stuff like I me not asking or being more involved with some of my friends fertility processes at the time was very much of a function a function of what I didn't know and I think that there are people who aren't really going to get it and that's okay and it's just not personal and I think the unique part about being in your 20s and 30s is you know you go from everyone Going out and and waking up and hungover with delirious laughter, and you can spend all this time together, and you're like at the exact same fucking phase of life, to then emerging to where, depending on if you're single in a relationship, married trying to get pregnant or have kids we're all the same age and we're the same people at these drastically different life phases and we cannot ex- understand that our friends experiences unless we've been in them as you can try as hard as you can
0: yes and it doesn't make you a good or bad person they're just like some things that you don't aren't in your wheelhouse because you don't you've never experienced it you don't know how all consuming it is
1: Exactly. And and I think that being a person that tried later and realizing I probably wasn't the best friend to a lot of my friends going through this stuff, because mm-hmm. honestly, when I was unsure about kids, it was like not, for lack of a better word, a bit triggering in a way of like, talking about baby stuff stressed me out and scared me. Oh my me. God.
0: You have no, ne- truer words have never been spoken. I'm like... That resonates with me so much. I feel like that all the time. And I'm like, one day when I have kids, I'm going to look back on even some of these episodes of this podcast and be like, you were the grumpy old troll who lived under the bridge. (laughs) Like, especially if you're not in the kids space yourself, it can be nauseating to hear all about someone else's kids or someone else's entire fertility process if you're not anywhere near that headspace but Mm -hmm. that also pertains to like where you are in your relationship status like I'm about to get married I have friends that couldn't be more single I have friends that are getting divorced we're not in college anymore we're not all at the same spot in our lives and it can feel really jarring and it can make you feel like there's a big distance between you and your closest friends which is unsettling so I think it's so important that you mention that and the fact that you can have grace for both sides you know
1: I think you, you'll you need it as much as you'll have to give it. And I, I think that the the biggest thing you can do in friendships at this age is, like, uh, support each other and recognize the differences instead of, like, measure the distance between your coordinates, instead of size up where I am versus you. Like, everyone's going to need support in a unique way. And um I think that if you... It, uh, you know, to this day, like I still have trouble calling friends who had like a similar due date that I do and they have a kid and I had to get I had to terminate mine yes. like that's that's weird and that's hard and it makes it hard for me to follow their journey and and it's just so deeply not personal and um, I just think it's important to realize that this is so sensitive because you think you're guaranteed These things as a woman, you shed your uterine lining every month only to be shed of your sanity when it's not your choice and who does or doesn't get pregnant and when and how fast and how healthily it isn't. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And yet you feel entitled to the magic and the ease of process. And um, all the while, a lot of people get pregnant quickly and then aren't fulfilled by it in the way they thought. And that's its own mindfuck where here you're in an ideal situation and it's not what you thought it would be. And I empathize with that, too. I, I think we're up against a lot as women not all, just with our expectations for how and when this should happen and how it should fulfill us when it does or what it means if we can't do it. And the more empathy and grace you can extend to people and just support them in their situation without comparing the two between yours is all you can do.
0: Absolutely, fucking lutely I'm like, you should have a podcast. You're brilliant. No, I'm like, this is truly <laughs> so I, – I love what you're saying so much. So riddle me this. A birdie told me you went to Vegas amidst this whole process. What was that minor, you know, blip in the brain that made, like, was that fun? Can you drink during this process?
1: I went a month after my first retrieval. Okay. Yeah. So I actually kind of went in an effort to, like, reclaim 35. Like, I've, when I got, so I, my entire life used to be weddings, bachelorettes. Like, I used to travel for friends' milestones, and it was really fun. And then I got to this age, and I'm like, this age is... No, I'm like, I'm in that hellhole right now. Yeah, and at the time, it's, like, so so overwhelming. You're dumping so much time and money into other <gasps> people's milestones, and then yes. people ask you about your milestones when you're there, and it stresses right. you out. And right. And anyway, then but re- in recent years, I haven't had as many of those events and stuff, and I realized, like, my friends like we've all we're all going going through more shit than we ever have whether we're new parents trying to be still single whatever and it just makes me mad that we stop gathering to celebrate things in the absence of milestones like so what I got married great uh can't we like support each other and do fun shit one like on an ongoing basis and 35 to me was like this expiration date so I was like 35, we're going to Vegas, we're going to go to the Shania Twain concert. Fuck yeah. And live our best lives, and it was so much fun. <laughs> that is the perfect thing to do after an egg retrieval. It's like the the female yeah. empowerment you need. And is just, I mean, she's the 90s feminist icon I didn't appreciate, but the lyrics of Any Man of Mine and Honey, I'm Home... Oh my God, I'm the biggest Shania fan. ...are so, the antithesis of what country was at the time, and... You know, cook him dinner, burn it black. It's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He should be proud of me.
0: <laughs> Let's switch to a bleaker side of the world, which yeah. is, so you have these embryos, right? Mm-hmm. And they're on ice somewhere. There's also, you have to pay for the embryos. I forgot about that part. People don't talk about that enough, except for like Tinsley Mortimer on Real Housewives in New York.
1: Oh, right. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? She was crying to her mom with the Big Apple Circus. <laughs> Dark <laughs> yeah. stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you have to pay like a storage fee. But I'm insane, and I ask all the questions. I'm like, so what happens if the power goes out? They're like, no, they're they're frozen with like liquid nitrogen. I was like, oh, no, I'm like, <laughs>
0: that's know. for real. Like, I thought they were in like a an igloo freeze. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm imagining like Doctor Evil for and, like an Austin Powers. <laughs> yes, right. I so apparently
1: they've they've backups on backups, but yeah, you have to pay a storage fee, and um, it's it's a process where. You wait a week for embryos, like the fertilized eggs, to see what make it as embryos, and then you can genetic test them. And that's another two weeks. Jesus, there's a lot of waiting in this process. And then you can store them, and you can frozen transfer anytime. Some people fresh transfer and don't wait for genetic testing. Totally up to the individual. And uh, then you can ultimately decide if you or if you need a surrogate or whatever um, when okay. to implant.
0: So there are some that you know, don't make it, you might retrieve the the egg and it might be all fine and the embryo might be fine. And then two weeks later, it's not a viable embryo anymore. Did you have any, is there any emotion for every situation is so different, but for you, did you have any like grief surrounding that? Like if you went from four to two?
1: I think what I learned in this process is how remarkably inefficient human reproduction is unassisted Mm -hmm. because, you know, so let's say they, they the rule of thumb is for every 10 eggs they retrieve, they estimate that could be like one live birth. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, that would be like 10 menstrual cycles. And then one of those eggs happens to fertilize and it happens to make it to the embryonic phase and it happens to be genetically normal. So where, you know, you can take carry the pregnancy to term and blah, blah, blah. There's like 12 steps. It's kind of like a March Madness bracket. Yeah. And it made me realize how... No wonder it takes so long to get pregnant. No one, so many things can happen, go wrong, and, and it's sciency it at what a miracle yeah. we're here, and as sciency as this process is, I cannot control what fertilizes, what makes it to each phase, and blah blah blah. And beyond that, like even as attached as I am to the process, like the embryos can't live without a like uterus to host it. They they, they themselves are not like. It, I just don't see it. Yeah, that's up to a person's opinion, but not being able to live, thrive, develop um, in the absence of being attached to someone's uterine lining, it just ha- makes me l- detached in a sense. Where um, I, you know, I'll be lucky to even get enough because it's like for every two embryos you have, that's like one, one live birth, I guess, right. that make it through genetic testing. So, like for me to have two kids, it'd be wise for me to have four embryos, right? right. Assuming that there could be issues, complications, whatever. Um, but yeah, some people get a lot and then you can donate them to science. If you don't use them all, you can store them for eternity. You can donate them to a family member. Um, I think everybody feels differently about it. What is tough is when the political discussions venture into IVF territory because, and honestly, in a sense, I kind of wonder if this is not going to help some pro-life people snap out of it because, if you're a very pro baby and you're a person that's doing IVF and you have embryos, you have to realize how hypocritical it is to be like, life starts at fertilization for all you bitches, but mine in the lab, those are different.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, we can talk for four years about the idiocracy right. of these, all these fucking people. Like it really, it's maddening. It really is. But I, Absolutely. I love everything that you said so much about that. So thank you for sharing that. Oh yeah, of course. So I had a friend the other day that texted me as I was researching you, basically, for this Mm -hmm. episode. And she texted me and she was like, we're kind of at this age. I mean, if there even is an age to being at a career impasse where you're just like, what do I do? I have a lot of friends that are, you know, pivoting and feeling like the career that they have worked for the past seven years post-college, they're realizing that it's not for them. And i just felt like that was there was this kismet moment where I was researching your career path and learning about your journey. And I just wonder, like, what advice do you have for people? And maybe you can provide some backstory in your answer, because you went from corporate, left corporate and did reminder door. What are they called? Remind doormats. Remind doormats. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I started my career in corporate market research and I was did that for about six years and then I guess when I was, I don't know how old I was. In my later 20s, I yeah accidentally started a company, because I was I that that. in the city and I was going to work every day curling my hair and worried I was going to burn my apartment down, which I don't think really does happen that often. But, you know, in Friends, like Rachel Duh, Burns Phoebe's apartment down.
0: No, like, I think that scarred our generation for life because like I've had, yes. I've almost driven to San Diego and had my boyfriend drive back because I thought I left my straightening iron on. It's like also an anxiety manifestation for sure.
1: Exactly. So I was like, I can't live like this. So I was like, what, what's something I, on my door that I see on my way out. And I thought of a doormat and I'm like, well, doormats welcome you in your home. What if it sees me on my way out? I live here. So I put like reminders on doormats, like turn off your straightener. Don't forget your lunch, whatever the hell it is. Um, and called them remind doormats, started a doormat company. It went viral I kind of I le- had to leave my corporate job to just like get, get caught up because it's kind of like, well, I have this opportunity. I didn't really want to be a girl boss, but OK, yes. like let's see what happens. I and I've always been creative and artistic, so I wanted to make it work. And then I streamlined the company, figured it out, wanted to go back into the corporate world, but they wouldn't rehire me. And I was kind of like, well, fuck, I don't I didn't my I don't see my destiny in flooring like this is kind of a. I think that when you're a creative person, it manifests in a lot of different categories and industries, but it doesn't mean that it's your passion or calling.
0: Yes. So how old were you
1: then? I think I must have been, by the time I realized like, I don't, this is not my destiny. I don't want this for my entire life. I don't want to run a rug empire. It was, I was like 28.
0: Were you terrified? Like that's what what age I am and my friends are at. I feel like there's so many like glamorized versions of, and then she pivoted and went to business school, which requires so much money. You know, she pivoted and started a opened a bakery and like no one ever talks about the identity crisis that comes with that or the fear if you don't have a savings or if you don't have parents that can be a safety net for you financially.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely. And I think it was hard because I think that it's, it was an interesting story and it was became what I was known for. And it's like so random to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, a corporate consultant and then like start a doormat company. And then when I realized it wasn't for me. I kind of like hit it and didn't know what to do. And I kind of, in not being able to get rehired, I kind of had to, granted, I live with my then boyfriend, fiance, now husband. So I had a roof over my head and I banked a corporate bonus to live off of for the first, you know, couple of years as like supplemental income till I made money. But then when I wanted to kind of like walk away, the, the reason I... Kind of forward into writing books and podcasting is because I was kind of at a rock bottom that forced me to ask myself questions like, What do you like? Who have you always been? What have you always been doing that somebody else isn't doing? What, like, if you have this opportunity, like, it sucks that you have nowhere to go and are at a place where your old company won't hire you and you don't like the new thing you started. Um, But, you know, if you I looked at it from the standpoint of like, if I could create something, what would it be? And I've always been like writing poems and writing, and I've always loved pop culture. And I kind of saw this opportunity to converge my hobbyist things um, that I consumed in my regular life with like my background in market research and podcast kept me company in the lonely days of self-employment, and I just, like, for kicks, wanted to see if I could elevate pop culture conversations, make it long form, make it single-hosted, and talk about why these fleeting stories, uh, not just what happened, but why they matter. And it took years to get off its feet, but I think that it was just, honestly, I don't think I would have done it unless I, I just had nothing to lose, and, it, and I, I had all the natural interest and I think you can be propelled by success or joy. <laughs> um, and when I didn't have success, I still really liked it. And I was able to f- make money freelancing, still selling mats. And it, it just, it's kind of, it's just, you know, it's not a ladder. It's not a, a one steady slope. It's just very much up and down a jungle gym. And I think the nature of self-employment is like there are going to be many phases where you're going to have to figure out how to get back on your feet. Um, But the thing that I learned is what we have now is if you can build an audience and you want to create art or create anything, they'll follow you from thing to thing. Mm -hmm. And the biggest difference was just getting the people that follow me for the doormats to follow me for something else.
0: (laughs) Right. God, that's so smart, because when you're 28, you feel like, okay, my time for career switching or shopping around for what I wanted to do with my life. We're, like, conditioned in this fucked up American way to think, A, all of your self-worth is in your career until you become a mother. You know what I mean? Like, that's basically what's shoved down our throat. And that, like, you should have it all figured out by 28, you know, or right. 29 or 30 or whatever. And it's, like, you feel like your whole identity when you're at one of those standstills where you're like, what the fuck do I do? I hate where, I'm, where I've come from and I don't like where I'm going either. Right. You feel like your whole world is ending. You know, my friend that talked to me was yeah. like, so many people just say like, well, I'll just switch jobs. And it's not that easy. Like, if you don't have insurance, if you don't other, have other things, she was like, my Wellbutrin costs $1,700 every month. You know, like, right. there's all that other stuff. Like, what helped you through that time? Was it putting all of your energy, was it therapy? Was it like just putting all of your energy into this new project? Because there, I, I imagine there were some months where you didn't even have this new idea, yet you just hated where you were.
1: The thing I've always known about myself is I have a bit of an undercurrent of melancholia. And (laughs) I think that sometimes, and I don't recommend this route, but, like, I sometimes am really productive in kind of tougher mental health times, or I kind of will channel it creatively. I went to therapy. I was on Will Butred, by the way, like, all the things. But what I attribute my to stringing my days together is staying busy and getting back to basics of creating for the sake of creating in the absence of success metrics like you know finding ways to like my biggest metric is if you find anything in this life I don't care how weird it is to somebody else if it makes you lose track of time instead of count the minutes like that's your thing do more of it and for me there were specific things that made me lose track of time and that when I was really low, I was just like, okay, I love reading, you know, frivolous pop culture news. I love writing poems. I love stalking social media influencers. And this is who I am. How can I leverage an audience to to make this happen? And the first big thing that happened is I published a book called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star that was a parody of um, influencers because honestly, I was hurting at the time and I was seeing all the I was seeing the bachelor nation to revolve fest pipeline. Duh. And I, meanwhile, I'm like, man, if you can get a springboard or a lily pad, this is a great gig. But for and there us, are so many people that the rest hate of that. Us, Yes, there's so many,
0: right. And like, what a community. I mean, like myself included of people that hate that shit, you know, and feel the same way.
1: Yeah. So I, that's where it started. I was like, OK, if I if this isn't happening for me, how can I channel this differently creatively? So I wrote like a joke parody book about my frustration with influencers in a way that ultimately had hard and wasn't rude and whatever. But um, I don't know. I don't mean to make it sound like more uh, breezy than it was. It wasn't great. But like sometimes I don't know what to tell people and they're like, how would you make it happen? I'm like, well, to get a book published, I Googled how to write a book proposal I emailed people around the clock. I sent out probably forty plus manuscripts, and I, I don't have you know. I'm very privileged in that I had a roof over my head. I had a corporate salary. I was floating off of, and I wasn't desolate. Um, but also, I have no connections, and I, I, I had a small, maybe fifteen thousand following from the mats and I j- literally had to Google how to start a podcast, how to write a book, how to publish a book. And I say that just because that's how some things get done. You don't have to. I just I think if I waited for my break, I'd still be waiting. And it just was a slow process of chipping away at stuff. And I think in the biggest thing that I notice holds people back is People are very judgmental and have a lot to say about you when you're taking chances, a lot of things to say about you when you're doing it. And I had developed a tolerance to naysaying and people in my life thinking I was weird by starting a flooring company. (laughs) So when I was like, yeah, so now I'm going to write a book about influencers and do a podcast. They were like, okay. See what you
0: have to say about that. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I love that so much. I think for most people, like that is... You know when you have energy for something and you go to dinner with a friend or talk to a parent and they don't get it and you lose energy? I think a lot of people could do a lot of stuff and they really let that noise get in their head. And my my biggest thing is if you want to do something creative or unconventional, like a baby whose name you don't reveal till it's born, do, just do it first and tell people about it later. And once it's actually happened, people are a lot less harsh with their feedback. And if it's an idea or a pipe dream, people are so rude and will squash your dreams. But if I already made the first mat and sold the first one, they're like, oh, this is interesting. And you kinda just gotta do it.
0: I'm blown away by you. You just truly have so many incredible things to say. When I'm in Chicago, my best friend lives in Chicago. I'm gonna come and we're gonna get dinner because we just yeah, need to like home, do a deep get dive.
1: Dinner drinks, we'll come on my podcast. We'll continue I would the convo. Love it.
0: Hell yeah. Okay, you've been incredible. Thank you so, so much. I kept you way over but I just couldn't stop. This was amazing.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me cut out any of my wordiness. I won't take it personally.
0: (laughs) No, never. (laughs) Never. All right, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for continuing to come hang out with me. I love you guys so much, and I'll see you guys back here same time, same place next week. But if you want to continue the conversation or you want to let me know any of your thoughts about any episode, DM me at Jade Iovine. I am extremely online, unfortunately, so I'm always around to talk to. Okay, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.